0: Everyone and welcome to Salem Happenings, the show where we discuss the issues that you're all talking about around the city. Thank you for spending a little bit of your day with us today. We're joined by former city art planner, Deborah Greel, and then a bit of a squad from Salem State University. First, retired academic administrator, Gwendolyn Rosemond and Rebecca Haynes, a professor of media and communication. And we're also joined in the opening of this episode with Elisa Castillo, Salem State's assistant dean of Students for Wellness and a Salem resident. I'm Dustin Luca with the Salem News, and normally joining us, but unable to attend, is William Dowd from the Salem Gazette, who is mourning the loss of a parent. We're all here for you, buddy. Also, behind the scenes, as always, is Alan Hanscom, a producer from SATV, and really the super glue for this whole outfit. So. This is our fifth episode, and sadly one that kind of marks a milestone. It's our third episode filmed remotely since COVID-19 first shut down the region, which means more than half of this show at this point has been done through Zoom, with us sitting in our living rooms and kitchens and kind of away from the rest of the world. But some things are returning, and that's part of what we were hoping to talk about today. We're filming this on September 3rd, two days removed from the state primary, after Salem State University has started reopening, and a couple weeks before Salem Public Schools kicks off. And with the three of, of the five of us coming from the city's hometown higher ed engine we're going to kick this off with
1: Rebecca so do you want to take things off great thank you so much um so one thing that I thought would be important to discuss today are some of the questions that I've been hearing from members of the public regarding how Salem State is reopening um I've heard lots of concerns I think especially because if you follow the news from much larger universities nationwide there are all these reports of students returning to campus in large numbers and COVID outbreaks happening and folks have been saying you know how is Salem state handling this we don't want to see an outbreak in the city of Salem Um, from a faculty perspective there are some very reassuring facts that I'm happy to share Um, one of those is that back in April or May the provost actually invited all faculty to propose courses that needed to run face-to-face due to some sort of lab science or studio component, basically operating from the assumption that folks should be meeting remotely, right? So in the end, only 15% of all of Salem State's classes will have any kind of face-to-face component. And um, some of those components might be, you know, Maybe meeting once a week or once every other week, even rather than the sort of sustained contact that you would have in a normal semester. Um, You know, other things that they've been doing to mitigate things, those classes that are meeting face to face are really spaced out. They're using larger classrooms with ventilation, keeping the students socially distanced. So from a faculty perspective, it it is really reassuring to know those things. Um, That said, as a faculty member, I'm not fully familiar with all of the operations and planning at Salem State. So I'm very grateful that Elisa Castillo, who works on the administration side of Salem State, was willing to join us today. Um, Elisa, thank you so much for being here.
2: Thank you so much for having me, it's a pleasure.
1: Um, I was wondering if you could elaborate a bit more from perhaps the student side of things in terms of what's happening in the dorms, what's happening in other shared spaces like computer lab spaces or study spaces to help the residents of Salem understand what we as an institution are doing to keep the students and the community safe.
2: Um, Perfect. So we understand that we're all in this together. We're all impacted by this pandemic in one way or another. Um, and it really is up to all of us to make sure that we're keeping not only ourselves well, but each other well. And so we have really emphasized that with our students. Um, and before a student can even come onto campus, they need to participate in our health and safety training that explains COVID, it explains transmission, and it also really speaks to everything students must do on campus. Students cannot be on campus if they're not wearing a mask. Students cannot be on campus if they're feeling ill. Um, students do have to comply with their protocols in order to be on campus Um, And so far it's going very well. Um, We also were able to increase our testing for our um, students as well as our employees. So every single student that moved into our residence halls um, was tested for COVID before even being able to move into their room. Um, We tested 940 students over the past week. I was there every single day. I interacted with every single student. Um, And I'm very happy to announce that we only had one positive Um, result out of 940 which means our positivity rate was a 0.1 which is significantly lower than not only our city's average but our state average Um, and um, that was mandatory students were very happy to comply we had no resistance and we will continue testing our students every Tuesday we want everybody to continue to be well, to continue to monitor their health, continue to have access to testing, obviously wearing masks and physically distancing is, you know, is a priority on our campus. And so, as you mentioned with the classrooms being um, more distant, um, also our residence halls are different. There's only one student per residence hall room. Um, we've changed the occupancy in all of our meeting spaces. And while it's sad to not be able to have the competitions and the dances and the large events that we've really enjoyed in the past, Um, The community has really come together to be really creative to make some things virtual this year or really kind of change the scale of the things that we used to do. Um, We want all of our students to have a positive educational experience this year. We have to go forward with life. We have to adjust and make the best out of this time, but we have to do it with precautions in place and health and safety always comes first.
1: Absolutely. And what kinds of measures are being taken um, in the dorms in particular? I understand that there is actually a smaller than usual number of students returning to begin with, right? So we're helping with density by having fewer students. Um, Could
2: you maybe go into just a little bit more detail on that? Because I think folks are very interested. Absolutely, so yeah, de-densifying campus was our priority. So, um, you know, we can talk about that campus wide, but certainly within our residence halls. So we do have less than 50% of what our typical occupancy would be. It's actually closer to 40% right now compared to a typical year. And we did that very intentionally. Um, on one hand, we know that some students really do access their education better if they're able to be on campus. They have, you know, the privacy, the access to technology and to our resources, our libraries, um, whereas some students are able to, you know, learn very well at home and you know, staying at home is a good option for them. But we do want to have options for our students. And, you know, I'm also very proud of the fact that we were able to support our students throughout the spring and the summer, students that did not have a safe or comfortable place to live did stay within our residence halls um, I think at much greater numbers than other institutions because we you know our our students come first and we're doing everything we can to support them and protect them but that being said right now in the residence halls we have less than a thousand students on campus normally we would have 2,500 so it is again about 40 percent each there's only one student per residence hall room so everybody has their own bedroom Um, We are only allowed to have one other guest visit you and that other guest has to also be a residential student. So a student who already knows our protocols, who are already um, kind of monitoring on campus. Um, And we're also, you know, being very clear with students, you know, these are the rules when it comes to gatherings, you know, gatherings are, are not allowed. Masks are still required even within the residence hall, obviously not in your private bedroom, but when you're about Um, on campus and in the residence halls that is required. Um, We're doing a lot of training and education with our students in the residence hall. Um, We started that with move in and that will continue throughout the semester. And we're also being very clear that the consequences are significant. Um, If a student does not do what they're supposed to do, if they're not wearing a mask, if they're not physically distancing, if they're not showing up for testing when it's required, that is a student conduct violation and they will have to meet with the Dean's office and the consequences could be suspension from the residence hall, or even suspension from the university. So that message went out to all students, even before they moved into campus. Um, And, you know, we take that very seriously. We're also very concerned about our students in the neighborhood and in town. Um, We've sent multiple messages to them that the rules apply, whether you're on campus or off campus, the rules still apply. Um, You know, unfortunately, this is not a year where we're gonna, you know, support any kind of parties or gatherings. And if students are downtown and if they do ignore our, um, our guidance, we really want community members to report it. We want the police to be called. The police will give us those names and we will follow up with those students. So we are taking it um, very seriously. Um, you know, we feel very fortunate that we have such a strong relationship with the city between the city and the university. And we're working as closely as ever this semester to make sure we're all looking after each other. Um,
0: and being well. And just That's if we could jump in. Because um, I know one of the big things people were talking about with Salem State reopening was that so many of your students, I mean, not all of them obviously, because there's a large body that comes from Salem, from Lynn, from around the area, but you do have some students that live on campus coming from of the states. Mm-hmm. What has that been like having them come to campus when they're coming from high risk areas and what has the reception been for them?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, we actually had about 50 students come in from out of state that moved into our residence halls. We very intentionally had to move in early so that we could quarantine them. Um, you know, we, we made sure that we're following um, the travel order. Um, we made sure they did their paperwork, we made sure they got tested and they were not released from quarantine until we got those um, negative results back uh, obviously if anybody was positive they would have been isolated um, we're very mindful we have 57 isolation spaces within a residence hall just in case somebody does test positive if they want to go home they can go home but we are certainly prepared to quarantine them and isolate them in the residence hall as well. So we have that protocol in those spaces ready to go. But so far the out-of-state students did great and they complied and they're out of quarantine and they're um, able to go to their in-person class um, this week. So, so far, so good.
3: Can I ask a question too, Elisa? Um, I've been doing a lot of reading about COVID and they're looking at aerosols. Maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, they're sort of a smaller kind of droplet. And so people can wear masks, but who's monitoring how they are wearing their mask? because oftentimes people will hang on it, it won't fit correctly. Right. And finding that that's
2: actually quite dangerous um, if you're not wearing it properly. Absolutely, absolutely. No, I think at the beginning of the pandemic, we were so concerned with cleaning every surface, right? And now we're really understanding that it's maintaining the physical distance and wearing the mask that are really the most important things we can do. Um, so everybody has to wear um, a cloth face covering or a mask when they're on campus. Um, and we really speak to, you know it has to cover your nose and be under your chin and fit tightly. It has to be clean. Um, we do have um, disposable masks on campus available, cloth masks available on campus if anybody needs an additional mask or it gets dirty or they need a replacement or they forgot those um, we have them readily available um, and we will continue to do a lot of education with students about the importance of these protocols and why um, you know we're We also want to make sure we're treating each other with kindness though I do see people sometimes not wearing their mask properly and I do say oh excuse me do you mind putting it up or oh can I get you another mask you know the first time we approach somebody we do want to approach it kindly Um, but at the same time if it becomes a recurring issue that's when we would really take a hard line. Um, and you know, address it as a conduct issue. So it's important that we're doing a little bit of both because of course, when I see people on campus, people wanna go up and hug each other because they mm-hmm. can each other, right? But we have to have that friendly reminder, like I love you and I'm gonna love you from a little bit of a distance, but it's so great to see you, even though we're all wearing masks, but mostly fashionable masks. And one
3: other quick question, are you able, um, is, is the state financially supporting these efforts because you're doing a lot and it's not inexpensive so is the state or the federal government
2: supporting your efforts to help um with these safety measures that is a great question um to some degree yes um you know not as fully i think as we would like it to see but i think it's all a process and and it's evolving so um you know the state has given us some guidance and it's also given us some requirements um sometimes we're prepared and we're able to do it right away sometimes it take us takes us a moment to kind of pivot to be able to put those requirements in place Um, When the requirements come forward, they don't come forward with funding, but little by little, some additional CARES money and and COVID funding is being released to higher education. And so we just received news that we are getting um, some increase. It's not gonna cover all of our expenses, but it will cover some of our fall expenses, which does allow us, for example, to really do the testing that I was talking about for our students and our employees. So we're getting partial funding, uh, but of course that's something I would love Um, to advocate Mm and be more of in in the coming days.
4: Impressive. I I have a question. How are meal services being handled?
5: Oh,
2: that's a great question um so we just got a new um dining vendor on campus uh-huh. which be uh-huh. interesting timing to kind of get a new vendor during a pandemic but they're very accommodating we now have Sedexo on campus um and they are prepared to do a lot of grab and go so students can order a meal and pick it up using their app um, and meals are prepared in a packaged way, so we no longer have buffets. Unfortunately, we can't have those larger dinners where we're serving and sharing mm-hmm. food. Unfortunately, we can't do that at this time. Um, but they but they are being very good at preparing a variety of healthy options. Um, we have a, a nutritionist, a dietitian, who's overseeing it, and she's very good at making sure everybody has their fruits and vegetables and um, you know gluten-free options and, and all the different options for our students um, but it is just packaged and presented in a different way and of course um, we don't have as many um, dining options open on campus because each day we only have less than 10 percent of our typical population on campus each day which again is important to de-densify and it's important for ventilation. Um, but everybody's happy to know that Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks are still open every day. So we will be able to find our fix one way or another. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you.
0: This is all some great information. What What do we all think about this? Compared to some other things I'm reading about
4: other institutions, it sounds like we are equal to the task if not ahead of it.
3: It's really impressive. It's incredibly impressive. Kudos to you, Elisa, and your team, you know, from John Keenan on down. And it's amazing, that testing. Wow.
6: Yeah, as as a faculty
1: member, I even learned a lot today. I think that these details are really, really helpful to um, learn more about. And it is it is reassuring to know that there is weekly testing and that we only had one positive in that initial round of testing with all the quarantine that happened. It is very reassuring. So I'm really glad to hear it.
0: Yeah. Well, that's definitely a remarkable number. So, I mean, it is just, and especially just as Rebecca just said, you know, the fact that it's weekly is just, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, because I just came from the testing that the city is running and the line going around Salem high school, even on a Thursday, you know, the third week they've been doing this is just, it's really long. So just thinking about the kind of strategy and resources that has to go into a university doing that for every single student that's on campus, not just doing it, but doing it once a week, is kind of remarkable.
3: Yeah. <laughs> well, the other thing it does is it it, it it you're also testing and sending them home like for the holidays. So if you're testing and then they're going home, you're sending students home that are are not going to be passing on COVID. That's mm-hmm. going to be a relief to the families. Sure. Mm-hmm. Your child shows up and says, I "Just got my test the other day and well, negative," mm-hmm. and that's really helpful, Chris And again, you have to do a lot of testing when everybody gets back to make what? sure they haven't been exposed, but Boy, that's just terrific.
2: We definitely want the peace of mind for our faculty or our staff, as well as our students. And like you mentioned, um, Deb, it's one moment in time, things can always change. So we have to continue to be vigilant and continue to get tested. but we definitely want students to, to take advantage of it. But I feel very fortunate. I feel like we've been a great team. Um, I'm mm-hmm. co-leading this effort with Chief Labonte. We report directly to President Keenan, but we have teams and committees of folks from across campus working daily, working very hard trying to do our best and we're also trying to be very transparent as of tomorrow you'll see a dashboard on our website that lists all of the positives and all of the tests so that we have mm-hmm. no questions everybody knows what's going on um, and we're going to continue to inform our, our community um, so that we can work together and during this very um, challenging time but very important effort. So. We feel very fortunate to be part of the Salem State community and the city of Salem at this time. And we will do our best to get through the fall semester.
0: Wow. Before we move on to Salem Public Schools, any final thoughts on this?
3: Thank you, <laughs> really
0: impressive.
2: Thank you, Elisa. Thanks, Thank Elisa. you, Elisa. Thank you so much for having me. See <laughs> you. Bye. 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 Bye.
0: So that's the higher side of education. Um, obviously, there's a whole nother school system in the Witch city that will be humming to life a few weeks from now, though kind of in its own state, and this is the whole story there. Um, initially, the school committee voted to have grades four and older doing a largely remote operation while grades three and under were going to be in person. And of course, there was going to be systems in place to allow younger kids to go remote, older kids to be in person. But that all went out the window two days later when the red rating came down and the schools got, had to put everything in remote. You know, as it stands right now, classes are going to start coming back on September 14th. So I guess my question for the panel here is threefold. Do we think that the original setup was a good one? Was the decision to revert to the all-remote option the right one? And when do we think children should start re-entering buildings? And just whoever wants to jump on that one, it's so open floor. Wow.
1: Well, I, I'm not sure about the answers to questions one and three, but I do think that following the public health data and therefore immediately reverting to the remote only learning is the right call. I, I feel like we need to follow the public health recommendations. And if we hear that it's not a safe situation for our children, we need to provide them with really strong, robust remote learning options.
3: I think this has really been hard. Um, I. I have granddaughters. They go to the Essex Tech, so that's a whole different uh, protocol that they're doing because they have to get back to their shops. But I think from some of the things that I've seen, some comments on Facebook and things, this has been really hard for a lot of the families. And it feels like there's a group that says, "Let's get them back in school." It feels like there's a group that says, "We were red, but now we're yellow, and now when we do, we feel safe." And I did watch the mayor's, um, you know, she does the PSAs, which are really, really helpful if anybody uh, can, can get on that and, and, and listen to that. And uh, I, first of all, I think she's really communicative. I think she's letting us all know. I agree with Rebecca. I think the science is to be behind this. But then the other thing I don't know uh, that we haven't talked about, and I don't know what's been in place yet, but the mayor talked about trying to provide some child care for people who have to get back to work and just the fact that they're trying to work on that I don't think they've come up with a solution yet but um, I do have to agree with you Rebecca the science has to be the thing that we are, 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 are looking at we could go back to the red Tomorrow. It's,
1: Easy. And I'm Easy. certainly sympathetic to everyone who has concerns about whether it's safe for children to be at home. There are lots of children in risky situations. So it's very there you know what it is? The challenge is there is no one solution that is in everybody's best interest, which I think is why I default to well, we, we just have to go with the public health data.
3: I agree. We also don't have a national policy that's really being very helpful either. So, you know, it's up to our governors and then our mayors and our school committees to make these difficult decisions.
4: I think there must be so much on the table for the people making these decisions. And I always come back to what about not only the kids who are not in safe spaces at home, but what about the kids who don't have the resources? And one thing that I have been following that I don't think is an issue, not that I know of in Salem, but the um, more well-to-do let's say parents who are forming pods or education groups and I, i'm still not sure about the safety of those but that's a different issue mm-hmm. and so my concern for the students who the children who don't have that kind of access or those kinds of resources but i do want to add and i am thinking this is probably going to continue but the city a uh, part of the recreation department the uh salem pantry and so on has been doing all summer uh providing meals and food resources based on the school you know unloading at different schools for people to pick up and need so i'm thinking that that mentality of providing for every child in salem every family in salem it's going to go on and i don't have the evidence for that but based on past practice i cannot believe that it's
0: not and one of the things that is worth mentioning in any conversation about COVID is how it does disproportionately affect communities of color. Yes. And Salem yes. Public Schools is continually trying to kind of, they're up against the wall trying to get, like, technology out. Because you, you had kind of indicated, you know, families that are, you know, from, like, mm-hmm. well households, kind of, mm-hmm. you know, they're the ones that have access to the technology and everything like that mm-hmm. to basically get the remote learning working the ones who are most heavily impacted by covid are the ones who have the least access to resources and i know district has been putting a ton of work a ton of man hours into making sure and woman hours as well to make sure that every kid that needs a chromebook is getting a chromebook and things like that though the conditions of those chromebooks tend to be kind of touch and go
3: i also know that i'm on the board of the north shore cdc and i know that their team over there which is just profound about 400 apartments and they, they call every single family every single apartment to find out what the needs are you know and, to, and they have their their hand on the pulse of um you know food or mm-hmm. things like that and so to think that that is a group that is so intimately involved in some of the needs of particularly the point neighborhood um is really heartening so yeah i mean stay tuned i didn't watch last night i believe that there was a zoom uh meeting dustin i don't know if you watched that with uh, i didn't have a
0: chance but i know which one you're talking about
3: yeah yeah i didn't have a chance to watch that as well so yeah
0: and stay i tuned. and i love I'm sorry good
3: stay tuned you know
0: and i love how you brought up uh north shore cdc and i, I feel like that transitions really well into our next topic Uh, So, you know, everything that we've talked about so far is focused on just the school systems. We know COVID has really done nothing to help the region's homeless population, those who are financial insecure, and there's generally an expectation that the economic impacts from COVID are going to cause that community to grow. Access to affordable housing was an issue before this all started, but there's a lot of conversations playing out right now to address just that. You know, we've been hearing about the efforts of the North Shore CDC and Harbor Light to boost the area's housing inventory but then on the other side of the coin we've got the recent inability for the city council to pass a zoning change requiring affordable housing in most construction projects and then you've got housing choice something at beacon hill that could make it so zoning changes like the prior mentioned affordable housing one could pass with less of a consensus from the groups of the city council so just you know looking at housing looking at the housing needs and just what COVID is doing with all that you know where are we kind of sitting and all that
3: well, I will say um, I I haven't had a um, a recent board meeting. We'll have one in about another week or so. At the last board meeting, the evictions are very 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 low um, with the apartments in right, right, right. the Northshore. <laughs> yes, so one of the things they're trying to do is connect with funds. As a matter of fact, I'm also on the um, uh, the the community preservation, and we actually uh, funded a number of organizations that could uh, people of court apply for housing assistance in terms of rental housing assistance. I've, I think we set aside $150,000 or something like that for our assistance. So that was, when, um, I think the city council agreed to the whole uh, community preservation package of which that was, because we, we really knew right then and there that was uh, you know, absolutely gonna be needed. So, I'm not sure what, where they are on evictions, but they try to do everything they can to keep uh, people in their homes. So that's just the
0: CDC piece that I can share. Yeah. And, and I can confirm too, that the city council did, as far as I know, every single CDC or every single CPA project went forward. There was some discussion about private versus public on one of them, but everything like, passed. And I think it was unanimous if I remember correctly. I mean, this is like three or four months ago, but. Right.
3: So one of the things about affordable housing too and i can speak to the cdc piece of things that people probably know that they're going to be doing a senior affordable housing on federal street uh, and then they're going to be doing um and i love this uh they're going to be doing affordable housing on hawthorne boulevard that's going to be for the creative economy uh they're going to set aside that i don't know if we talked about that before but both of these projects are probably about five four or five years away from actually putting a shovel in the ground um, because of the way you know, affordable housing is funded. Um, so you read about it and then suddenly, oh my gosh, you know, why isn't it here? Um, there's also two other projects. Um, I'm, I'm not gonna be at liberty to discuss them right now. One of them is about affordable housing in our downtown, and it will also speak to formerly homeless youth. So that's a project that I'm hoping is gonna move forward, um, you know, through the process and then apply for funding. I will say one thing: the CDC often, when they do apply for a varying amount, it's tax credits. It's, it's uh, you know banks that work specifically with uh, community development organizations. It's really a cornucopia, but they do such a great job that often they certainly are looked at as fundable projects. So.
0: Anybody want to add anything to that because other than that deborah actually just provided us with our next segue unless anybody wants anything to add to that i think that doesn't know um so as we're continuing on with this discussion around COVID, especially with deb on here as a former public art planner one community that has been battling through the pandemic is the creative workforce and i just did deb just to go back i love the segue there when you were talking about cdc's project on um, hawthorne boulevard there with the um Conception. inception Um, So these are musicians, mural painters. Pretty much if it can be created as a form of human expression, it's creative and a member of that workforce is behind it. But this is a community that's hard-willed as the concrete it's painting on right now. We recently sat down with two people who've done a ton of work to brighten up the Jersey barriers that are popping up to protect outside dining, setting up in parking spaces. Hey everybody, I'm here with Anna Dugan, a local artist, and John Andrews, Executive Director of the Creative Collective. And we're talking a little bit about kind of some of the artistic ventures that have been coming together with COVID going on and everything like that. The biggest one I think everybody's been noticing is the Jersey barriers that are being painted. So I guess really quickly, the first question I want to ask is what is this project and how exactly did it come together?
5: Sure. Um... Well, as part of the uh, Economic Development Task Force in Salem, um, I was our creative collective was contracted to help with the restaurant reopening and the outdoor dining project. Um, as we started implementing the outdoor dining project, it became pretty clear uh, Mayor Kim wanted um, beautification of the Jersey barriers and um, honestly, just, just some sore spots to, to make it feel, uh, a little more attractive to outdoor dining and, and more, um, less, less institutional feeling. Gotcha.
0: And I know that's, uh, how many artists are we talking about with this? I know you, you had a lot of artists, a lot of barriers in Salem. Um, I think Beverly too, like, what, what are we talking about in terms of the range of impact at this point?
5: So between Salem and Beverly, I think we've had roughly 20 artists um, and it's close to 200 barriers total. Um, And Anna was the first. (laughs) She got the whole project project started for us. And um, as soon as as soon as people started seeing that one, it was a really natural like, hey, we want them all done. So, yeah.
0: Awesome. And so Anna, what, how did you kind of go into this? And what was the reason for wanting to kind of jump into this?
6: So like a lot of projects, I got a message from John, Hey, we got a project. Um, Are you interested? Here's kind of what's going on. And, you know, a lot of the projects with the city or really a lot of art projects in general, they kind of unfold as you get involved. Um, So it's kind of like, okay, go check out these barriers, see what I'm talking about is this a scope of a project you can handle and, you know, it as a beautification project. I thought it was such an awesome idea because if, as you walk downtown, you know, there's a lot of Jersey barriers and I know that they're there for people's safety and I know everybody understands that, but it's just sort of a constant reminder of like how different the times are, like how scary things can be. It looks very militant, very um, industrial. Um, so to be able to transform those into very unique and very colorful and happy, joyful places to be, it makes it makes going out to eat much more attractive, um, and it boosts the economy oh. downtown um, through the arts. And it's also where um, what really I what I really loved about this project in particular was the cross section between public art and function. Um, with utility so being able to say okay yes it's beautiful but it also has a very specific function that can be used time and time again so there's a lot of uh, return on investment when it comes to that so um, I just feel like it highlights it highlights the fact that artists are a very important play a very important role in the economy of um, of any city or town or community so as the creative collective does a great job of Advocating for and highlighting. Gotcha.
0: Yeah. Do you want anything to
5: that? Yeah. So um, the interesting part about it was, um, like Anna said, you know, taking a utilitarian type structure and turning it into something that's beautiful. Uh, the psychology of just being downtown. I mean, you know, where everybody's in masks, you know, we have the mask order, and it just feels, it It, it really feels, felt like it needed color. And, you know, pretty much as a rule, anytime that I say to myself, I need somebody that's going to bring some color, that's usually Anna gets the first call, and that's why. Um, you know, not all the, not all the barriers came out as, bright and as bold as hers did, but they're all works of art. And what's cool about the project is, you know, they're all inventoried and numbered as well. So this is all um, just adding to the stockpile of assets that the DPW now has. So in the future, either if we have to do this next year or if we want to do this next year, or if we get back to gathering in public places and, you know, obviously the safety and security in October warrants the use of barriers again. We now have hundreds of pieces of public art that can be moved and brought to different places. Um, and, you know, DPW also respected and appreciated this whole project. So they're taking good care of them. Um, you know, picking them up with a fork truck. I've seen, you know, in some other cities, things just get hacked and I got to give, you know Ray joden and the whole tpw a huge huge props for they've moved them for us they've adjusted them for us they've you know tried to you know get them closer it was really um it was really important to the city which was really been, it made me feel better about it they wanted the barriers they wanted the safety they didn't want anybody being worried about sitting outside and dining you know, I know in some other communities, they're not necessarily using the, um, the Jersey barriers, but it's good to, um, it's really good to, to have the safety and security and beautification all at the same time.
0: Awesome. And I'm glad you guys were able to kind of join me on this. I think we're out of time, uh, really quickly. Cause I know Anna was talking earlier offline about, um, project she was working on in Peabody. That was also a creative collective project. If people want to follow you guys, see the work that you're doing, what's the best way to do that in Instagram handles? Where can we find you guys?
5: Yeah, um, for us, just creativecollectivema.com or at creativecollectivema is the easiest way. You can learn more about our program and some other projects that we worked on. Cool. And Anna?
6: Everything is Anna Did a Thing. So Instagram, Facebook, .com, at Gmail, it's Anna Did a Thing. Uh, Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you very much, guys, for joining me today. This is really awesome, and I'm glad we could include you in this, and I'm glad you guys are doing such great work. Thank you very much.
5: Thanks, Dustin.
0: All right. So I imagine Deb's looking to sink her teeth into this. Uh, I if you want to start. What are your thoughts on what you just heard?
3: Well, as a former public art planner, I'm um, I understand that the cares the cares money has been helping to pay good wages to the group that's been painting. Um, and I think they've moved into Beverly, um, and from, you know, what Anna says, it really helps, um, it's sort of like public art meets economic development, and I think that that is always where art and economic development can meet, and, um, it's joyful, even if you don't feel comfortable going to these restaurants, you're riding by, you're excited, um, as John said, they have inventoried all of them they can all come back. um, And it's to to keep the creative life alive. Um, And by the way, I'm just gonna segue too, one more CDC thing, they put a call out to artists, anybody uh, in your group, please share it. They're doing Peabody Street wall, as you've seen um, in previous years, and each segment (coughs) of that wall is going to pay the artist $1,000 to do a mural. So get the word out. So, are, so
5: when
3: you guys ride by, actually, Rebecca, I'm curious, what do your kids think when they ride by and see all these?
1: Oh, my goodness. So whenever we're driving through the downtown area and we pass all those Jersey barriers, they are so excited. They really find them so engaging. And I'm excited to report back to them after seeing that interview that, that these have been cataloged and will be reused in different ways. It hadn't occurred to me that these were going to be um, permanently in rotation in the city after the pandemic times have ended. Um, I think it's really exciting to think ahead about all the different creative uses for this and how many people it will bring joy to. You know, I see the joy my children experience. I hear people talking about these in social media, right? Whenever a new photo comes up on the Creative Collective Facebook page, everybody jumps in and says, it's beautiful, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Why can't we have these all the time? Maybe we can. And we will. <laughs>
0: Glad you mentioned it too, because and that's that was the part of the interview that really stuck out to me too, John talking about you know this hundreds of works of art that are just going to start showing up everywhere. Because I noticed when the barriers first started popping up in um, I don't know this would have been maybe May or something like that, the restaurant I can't remember which one it is, but it's right on the corner of Essex Street by Hawthorne Hotel. There was a couple oh. of barriers they set up that are orange painted for Halloween, and I was like, oh, right. I wonder how much we're going to see that. And then all, and they all started changing color. So
4: I think this is just. One more time, and I <coughs> excuse me. I probably probably don't say this enough. And I am so glad I ended up in Salem. It wasn't a conscious choice, you know. It's like, oh God, I'm going to Salem now. We get to work back. And I am purely serendipitous ended up in Salem because of things things like this. The the attitude, the motivation, the support. It's Salem. It's who who this
3: town is. Who this city is. I feel the same way. When I felt like, because the creative economy has been so hit by this, um, that they've made it a priority again: economic development and and art together. Um, I also have to. I want to put a do a shout out too to some of the folks that have created all the gardens in, in, you know, in their spaces. Beautiful things, and I I know Scott Lane's has done some metal work. Um, so it hasn't been just the people painting. Mm-hmm. It's been the 3D uh, artists have come out and done that. And I know we've touched on some things before, um, but just this, it feels hopeful. Yes. You know, it feels yes. like we care about you and we're going to help protect you. And here's what we're gonna do. And we're going to try to keep you in business. Mm-hmm. And be interesting to see what happens when the cooler weather gets here. You know, I think I'm just going to wear a coat. I hope they still stay open.
1: <laughs> cool that could be a
3: thing, you
1: know? It would be very of okay. us, you know, very much like what happens in Europe. People just dine out outdoors into the colder weather. Mm-hmm. We we'll can do that here. We can puff up a little bit and enjoy those beautiful settings.
3: Yeah, I, I hope it yeah. continues, and I hope we'll see what happens next year, uh, if we're able to, because I think people do, do like the European dining, yeah. so we may all be advocates to say it It really was it was great. I don't think it impacted negatively anything, even when we had to like close off part of a street. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. That's the way it is. It worked. It worked. Yeah. It really worked well, I know beautiful Beverly's doing it Um, I noticed that uh, I saw a thing about Anna she's painting uh, but it's um, picnic tables and puberty and so you know Gwen, you're right love living in Salem and I have a feeling people look towards Salem and say I think so what do we do like you know the mayors of these other cities come on come on let's go (laughs) I have a friend no names mentioned
4: who always threatens to come to salem and kidnap the mayor (laughs) nothing about where 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 that person lives or anything but he's always like can we just come to salem and kidnap the mayor yeah
1: because your friend friend wishes it were uh his or her mayor
0: Uh Uh (laughs) uh-huh
4: that comes up a lot or he'll say can you annex whatever his town is you know it could be anyone these around here but he says can you can salem just annex
3: us right Right. exactly i know it's a nice it is it is yeah it really is
0: my cover's coming no, it definitely is. And I it, and it's an interesting question too, just kind of looking at how this change is going into the fall, into the winter, because we are expecting a second wave mm-hmm. and you don't want to see these businesses that have been struggling throughout 2020 to then you know, start with their legs lopped off beginning
3: 2021. True. So. So, I will say one thing though about the performers, because <laughs> I'm on the licensing board too. Um, it, we're waiting from the state to let us know if we can license people well not license people but if we can safely put people back onto the street to be able to be performers if you're supposed to have 25 feet so we're still waiting to be able to safely get people out back out
0: there too and i know that that's so much of kind of part of the life of you know the city during the fall and everything like that when you're seeing all the different performers like bubble guy and things like that along no. with the also um, and obviously, the last thing on our list today is on um, actually no, I'm jumping ahead um, Barriers aren't the only thing that's been brightening up our summer over under COVID. The collective has also partnered with the city and Salem State University, which some of you might have heard that outfit uh, to resume the winter island drive-in series. And they even followed that with a light themed event a week later. Did any of us have a chance yeah. to catch any of that? And what were our thoughts? Wasn't that yeah, the
3: drive nice. I didn't think? Did you go, Gwen, to the one that they did I, at Tuesday?
4: I did not, but I heard really good things. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. I didn't attend, but I heard wonderful things. I saw photos. The setup was amazing. Yes, yes. I, I saw photos. <laughs> Of that building at Salem State and, you know, the, the size of the parking lot just seems to have mm-hmm. been ideal for that kind of event. I used to go all the time to the drive-ins at Winter Island. Um, and I, I really think that I need to go to one of these if they continue happening at Salem State because just the layout seemed perfect. The size of the building was huge. And it, it's just it's so well done. I appreciate mm-hmm. how well done everything is that that this organization seems to tend to.
3: Well, the other thing, too, is that this, the last one, which I wasn't going to, I I actually had a death in my family as well. And so there were some weeks I just needed some quiet. But um, so uh, there was a group called Area Code Fair, which does virtual um, art things um, using a lot of artists. And Leona Bradbury, who actually used to be, uh, be over at Montserrat, she's actually leading this charge. And so I think one of the good things about the Creative Collective is that people understand that when you collaborate with them on a project, your stuff is going to look great. Mm-hmm. That's, That's about yes. to be able to understand um, so that we get even more out of this um, opportunity. So I'm really hoping that they collaborate again with Area Code Fair. If you You can follow them on Facebook because they're doing things all over Boston. And it's another way to keep the arts alive, but also the abstract arts, the contemporary art, uh, filmmaking, all of that, so, and music. So, you know, follow them and find out if, if you happen to be in another you know neighborhood or you're in Boston, you can see some of the things that they're doing, even small things in storefronts. It's
0: pretty cool. And not even that, you can, you can enjoy all this socially distance as well. I mean, it's perfect for COVID, so. Right until we get tired of always being see each other like this <laughs> <laughs> well you know it's all part of the new normal and the masks and things like that so uh the last thing on our list today is the recent state primary that for us talking today on the third just played out a couple of days ago and i've got to say the region really represented itself well here just in the work that i did covering the elections i found that between 35 and 40 percent of the region turned out and that's double yeah and that's double what each of these communities saw for the last state primary two years ago and granted you had a couple of hot races challenging seth Moulton and ed markey but you also had covid and while the outcome for all the incumbents returning doesn't really make for great headlines, 40% during a pandemic is amazing since it was on the mm-hmm. back of the mail-in voting, the procedures that came together out of effectively nowhere. How were we feeling about what we saw play out on Tuesday?
4: We went in person in the afternoon and in discussing what we were going to do, we said, first of all, uh, the mail-in is going to take away some of the surge, the turnout, the turnout and we would go in the middle of the afternoon and it was perfect. We walked in at our our precinct, we walked in, it was spread out, everyone was masked, including being required to, if you were going in to wear a mask, Uh, all of the workers were masked. We went directly to pick up our ballot, we went to the booth, which someone went around and cleaned after every, after one person left, someone went in and cleaned before the next person, we checked out and we were out the door. And the whole thing took less than barely five, six, seven minutes. Um, So I'm glad that we chose to go in person. I didn't have to remember deadlines and all that kind of stuff. And I think that um, and appreciate that so many people did mail in and drop off that it made going in person such a smooth event.
3: Well, and thank you for that, because uh, we we did early voting, and I walked mm-hmm. it down uh, and I walked into the city clerk's office. but thank you for that because that um, I really do want to go in person in November, mm-hmm. and uh, I feel confident mm-hmm. uh, with what you just said and um so yeah that's great, and now they have drop boxes as well but mm-hmm. so we have some options but yeah i I really want to be there in person in November yeah.
0: So it sounds and, one safe. The, and one of the things that i was hearing from like because i talked to a lot of city and town clerks too and they were talking about how a lot of this kind of came together not necessarily at the last minute but there was kind of a rush to kind of get policies in place and you know outside of the city clerks and their roles themselves but now they've got two months to get ready for easily probably one of the biggest elections in any of our lifetimes so yeah yeah that's true anybody want to uh, add anything else any final thoughts on that
3: I will say that I really trust again, you know, living in Salem. I really trust that our city clerk's office does a really good job and I really trust the boxes that you can put your, you know, not just in city hall, but the drop boxes. I really trust this process in this city,
4: in
0: this city,
3: (laughs) in this city,
4: city. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. Um, and so that's going to wrap up this week. Uh, separate one thing, and this is something that we've been talking about for, I believe, since it was the first remote episode. Ended up on our agenda for the second taping, but we ran out of time. So we're sorry, Salem, but you're just going to have to meet our pets. Uh, this <laughs> is something that we kind of pre-recorded because uh, you can't corral cats, as you know. So uh, we're just we've assembled a kind of collage of clips of you know all of us with our little fur kids to show you kind of you know the the ones that are kind of pawing at our legs and things like that um, as we're trying to report these going to wrap it up for us this time thank you for turning into our fifth exercise in this journey until next time for Deb, Gwen, Rebecca and especially for Will and everybody else behind the scenes thank you for joining us we'll see you the next time things are happening in Salem